0: Welcome to the Black History Toolkit podcast with Abu Bakr Madden Al-Shabazz. So a Grimaldi skull is a name given, is a nomenclature. It's a name given to a skull which was found in Europe. This is an African skull. It's the oldest skull which is found in Europe. So this is evidence to show you that Africans were the first people who were present within the so-called continent of Europe. We look at the out-of-Africa theory, which is now a fact. So civilization or early culture begins in East Africa before we see different types of diffusions where people move up into North East, uh, North East Africa, North Africa, West Central to West Africa, Southern Africa. This is where civilization re- or culture really begins. So what happens? Africans were supposed to have left Africa approximately 70,000 years ago. And then they didn't reach Europe until approximately 50 to 55,000 years. Australians, the Daskian Australians, they were there for approximately about 60,000 years now. So it took almost 10,000 years for them to comb into Australia. So the planet at that time was really, really dark. There was no white people at all. There, if you look at the ice caps there, you will notice this was known as the last glaciational period, which means that this was the ice age. It was known as a worm interstadial, which lasted approximately 15 to 20,000 years. Africans were caught up in this ice cap here, and they started to attenuate their pigmentation. What I mean by that, they started to slowly lose their melanin. Now, if you want to read more upon this, if you look at um, what you call African presence in early Europe, look at the works of um, Charles Finch, and also look at the scientist Nina Jablonski, who talks about how darker skinned people became white through the, what was known as the glaciational period. They, they needed to shed that dark skin in order to produce the vitamin D in their body because of the lack of heat and sun in the, these climatic regions. Albinism was, it was an inevitable factor where dark skin people were having albino children. And then this is how they started to attenuate, creating what we now know as Europeans or Indo-Europeans and white people. So it's the monogenetic fact We all come from one. Everyone is a mutation from one another. And this is how this comes about. This is Cheddarman. This was found in, um, I think it was Somerset, if my memory serves me right. And this is the oldest Brit that we found. Okay, you can see it has dark skin. It's got straight hair. Very Aboriginal looking. So the Aborigines went back into, the Africans that left and went on to, went on to colonize places like Australia and New Zealand. There was another group of them that went into Europe and went into Britain. Now they dated to be around about probably between 10 and 20,000 years. So these are the original Brits. This is what is important here. But the other factor which needs to be emphasized is that this particular skull from the extractions of uh, DNA, etc., actually shows that this dark skin Brit had blue eyes. So we know that Africans at that time had blue eyes, green eyes, straight hair, curly hair, dark skin, lightest skin, but they had to have dark skin because of the equatorial regions in order to produce enough vitamin D and to screen them, this is all this is about. So you can see that this skull was found here. So the original people of Britain were black people or dark skinned people. So where did the Celtic people come from? They come in a much later date. We know they must have come in at least after 10,000 years ago, at least. So this is uh, Plyne Limon in South Wales, where the oldest skull in Wales was found here. And this was of a Grimaldi skull. So this is the oldest skull which was found in Wales, which was found in this particular place here. So. If you want to look more of ancient and, ancient and modern Britons, this book here by David Ritchie, which is a hard book to get, because it actually shows the African presence or the black presence in, in Wales, Scotland and Ireland before the white Celtic people came. So here, if you look, it talks about the aspects of the black Celts. Obviously, they weren't Celtic people, they didn't have a Celtic language. We don't know what language they had, but we know they are Aboriginal. They were very close to the Aboriginal people of Australia. They're from the same group. There was also diminutive types of known as the twa. Now the twa, there's evidence of twa um, existence in places like Ireland, places like Scotland, and even in Wales. And we know this because if you look at, if you go to places like St. Fagans, for instance, if you look at the old ruins of houses, have a look how short those doors are. The Twa people, they usually use the word pygmy. This is a pejorative terminology. They call them, their diminutive types. The Twa, this is the tribal name that they give themselves who come from Central Africa, which would probably be now the Congo. So this is important for us to know. Now, there were five Black kingdoms in Scotland and Wales by a person by the name of Black Kenneth. So we know there was provinces in Scotland and Wales which were ruled by Daskin people. The pits was also referred to as darker skinned people, which gave the Celtic people in Scotland a lot of problems. When Vortigan decided that he wanted to defeat the pits, this is when he commissioned the Angles and the Saxons to come in here to help him against the Pits. But what happened to the Angles and the Saxons stayed on and then they conquered particular lands, taking part of Scotland and Wales, and this is how they created England. He also talks about the gypsy population, which were like Indian-looking. Um, gypsies at that time, and they were also called moors. The word moors comes from the word dark. Now, what they've actually found out in many of the Celtic names in Scotland and Wales, that these are the names of people that are direct descendants, direct descendants of dark-skinned people, of the Trois, Australoid type and the Sub-Saharan type. I don't like to use the word Sub-Saharan. So these are the first people to live in the UK. So you've got Brown, Black. Douglas means the Dark Stranger. Duff means Black in the Celtic languages. And then you also have these other names, Moore, Moore, Maurice, the son of a Moore, Moore, Morgan, Black All people who have these names are descended from the earliest or the original settlers that came into Britain before the Celtic people, there was an amalgamation to a large extent, because we now see that the name white was used, so people was named black, when they started to become much more lighter, their surname became brown, and then obviously when it became bleached out totally, as as, you know, from from a genetic or a phenotypical perspective, they then had the surname white. So these is all linguistic evidence to prove and to show and to substantiate that there is only one race, the human race, and we are more genetically similar than different to one another because of cultural amalgamation, genetic amalgamation that brings about brings about miscegenation. So here we're going to look at the Roman times, where the Romans themselves said they were dark-skinned people living in parts of Wales and in England. This is what's important here. And also, when the Romans came around about 55 BC, they came here, and when they came here and they settled here, etc., they brought their own North African soldiery here, military here in order to protect Adrian's wall and obviously to stop the Celtic tribes, the lighter-skinned Celtic tribes from causing damage. They were extending their empire. What, Steve, what Peter Fryer says in Stay in Power, he says there were Africans in Britain before the English came here. Remember the English are the Anglo-Saxons. Right? This is important here. They were the invaders or interlopers. They were soldiers in the Roman Imperial Army that occupied the southern part of the island for three and a half centuries, among the troops defending Asian Wall, Adrian's Wall in the third century, were known as the Division of Moors. So we know what the word Moors mean. So this is important, which means Dacian people. They were adjectives which were used for the people at that time. Septimus Severus, who was an emperor, he was stationed in Britain in the southern parts of in, in the southern parts of Wales and most of England. Okay, he was an individual that ruled. OK, and he tried to maintain control, authority, hegemony of Britain during his time. Now, he was a Libyan. So there was a massive Libyan contingent which was brought to Britain. We know about the Punic Wars with, uh, with the, Black, the, the, the Black Carthaginians against the Romans in the first, second and the third Punic Wars. And we know that Rome defeated the Carthaginians in 146 BC and, they did, and Libya was made part of its realm. North Africa at that time, which was part of Libya, Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria, Mauritania, even into Senegal, was known as Mauritania. All that was known as Mauritania. The Arabs now call it the Maghreb. We now call it North Africa. That was known as Mauritania, the land of the Moors, the dark-skinned people. This is what is really important here. The other thing which is important to know that there was no discriminatory practices amongst the Romans in order for them to have a black emperor or a mixed race emperor, which Setemus was. He was a mixed race emperor who was stationed, lived and even died in Britain. So this is important for us to know of the African or the Black presence within Britain, especially if we're looking at the southern parts of Wales, where we started seeing more lighter lighter skin people coming, amalgamating, mixing, and this is how the people got bleached out slightly, so this is important. So Here there's a quotation from Joel Rogers. Joel Rogers was a Jamaican. He wrote a three volume book looking at the African contribution, achievements and accomplishments in Britain. He says, with the first Britons Negroes, there is considerable evidence that there might have been. Grimaldi relics have been dug up in England. And this work was published round about the late 1930s. If you look at the works of Gerald Massey and Godfrey Higgins, who were white scholars, they were very, very much Egyptologists, et etc. When they looked at Stonehenge, Gerald Massey believed the Stonehenge was built by Mauryan or Kushite. Kushite is a name of East Africans, Southern Arabians, and what we know as Sumerians today. They're known as the Kushites, okay? And this is important for us to know. So these are the early migrants that came out of Africa to populate the rest of the world. This is what Gerald Massey says. Godfrey Higgins goes on to say the contribution of Stonehenge was by Negro Buddhists. So this is evidence that East Africans were here which migrated out of Africa into the rest of the world and the Daskin Indian populations who became the gypsies of Britain. This is what's important here. So the reality is Western or Western historians are basically talking about the dark or the African presence within the British Isles. So let's have a look at about the Moors and what is said about the Moors, because when people look at the Moors, they they associate Moors with either Arabs or more specifically Muslims. But the reality is, is that the word Moor was used 600 years before Islam. This is what's important here. So we know they're talking about people. As Wayne Chander goes on to say, although the term more has been put to diverse use, its roots are still traceable or trackable. Around 46 BC, this is 100 years after the Romans had occupied North Africa, which they're called Mauritania. The Romans entered West Africa, so it took them 100 years to get from North Africa to conquer West Africa, where modern-day Mauritania and where Senegal is. Okay, where they encountered black Africans who they called Maurice from the Greek adjective "moros," meaning dark or black. So that's who the Moors were. So when we talk about the Moors in Spain, we know we're talking about a dark skinned people who brought civilization and culture to Europe. The Moors had introduced 17 universities and there was total social equality between the sexes. We even have evidence of Moorish women opening up university complexes funding them opening them up and becoming professors. This is long before they allowed women within other European countries to engage in education and to become head of faculties and to become professors. This is how advanced these morals were in antiquity. And this is what the likes of David McRitchie talks about looking at the advancement of darker skinned people before the coming over of the Celtic groups. And this is what is important for us to emphasize. So here, this is just a little bit of historical facts about the presence of darker-skinned people because there's always been dark-skinned people migrating into Britain. It's not just a windrush era. We have it from the beginning of time and we've had spurts of contact of darker-skinned people coming outside of Britain, into Britain. Even amongst the Vikings, they were dark-skinned people. Like Thorhow. No one talks about this individual. Was, a, was was a black Viking. Okay, there was black people amongst the Vikings. There was also black people amongst the Normans that came to Britain, but all this has been whitewashed out of history. This is why when we look at the many of Welsh people, they have dark eyes, they have like a darkest skin and they have dark hair, but they will say that they're Welsh and they're not even mixed. And that is because they do not know their history. And a lot of that is to do with the fact is that when the English took over that particular region, they had tried to establish a form of linguistic hegemony where the Welsh people were not allowed to speak their language. It was called the Welsh Knots. And a result of that, this is how they lost a lot of their history through oral tradition. Because what happens, language preserves one's history and one's culture. Once you lose your language, you've lost your history and culture. And now the Welsh are trying to reformulate and refine themselves. This is why during the enslavement period, one of the things they wanted to institute was that the Africans that came over into the so-called new world had to abandon their language. They were not allowed to speak Yoruba or Igbo or um, whatever other language you can think of. Because the reality was was for them to assimilate and for them to move away. So, even in the enslavement there was a con- concept of the African, you can call it the African knot, whereby the oral traditions would be lost by adapting someone else's language. So. Then I talk about the Celtics people in Ireland, uh, the Moors coming in Ireland, which were the Muslim presence now as early as the 9th to the 10th century. And the Anglo-Saxon King Hoffa was also believed to be a Muslim. So he had outside influence. There was contact between Britain and Islamic Spain and Portugal during that particular period. This is as important to know. So there's elements of diplomacy taking place where African ambassadors were coming to this country. They also talk about the Four Mauryans and the Black Sea Rovers, which controlled North Atlantic during the slave trade. Um, these were dark-skinned Moroccans and Algerians who had naval power and hegemony on the Atlantic Ocean. And many of the British people were selling their people into North Africa as slaves. We know about the white slave trade, and this is why North Africa looks the way it looks today. So these are just important facts, I think, that people need to understand. But right up into the Elizabethan period, there was a proclamation which was issued that Black Moors, okay, should be deported out of the country because of the economic deprivation that the Anglo-Saxons or the Celtic people in Britain were literally going through. And this is an edict which came about by Queen Elizabeth. So there was also Black people here during the Elizabethan period, before and after. So this concept that people have that the Windrush generation is the first encounter of Daskin people, or maybe during slavery, depending if people have historical amnesia, is just one part of the narrative. The narrative goes back to the beginning of time. Archaeological evidence substantiates that from escal- uh, excavational digs, ontological evidence, craniological evidence, osteological evidence, evidence, genetic evidence. Every single science is saying the same thing. So that's the people, the original people of England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland. And this is important for us to know. So we recognise that every person in this country is a descendant from either invader, interloper or the settler.